Lord God, may your word be for us a lamp to our feet and a light to our path through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Last week was not promising, but I have faith in technology. Despite all the provocations. So... So we're going to start a, a new uh, a conversation today. We're going to be talking about buzzwords. So, and maybe without the help of... All right. Well, I was hoping it would at least start. Okay. So so we're going to be talking about buzzwords. I could tell you some, some buzzwords today, but... Uh, so it's thinking slowly. Okay, here we go. So buzzwords. We're going to talk about buzzwords today. And um, uh, you know, you know what buzzwords are. Uh, you know the 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 word that that has a meaning. It wasn't. It, it's not always been devoid of meaning. At some point, it had a meaning, but it got used too much, or it, it escaped the field where it made some sense, and it just became kind of part of the vocabulary. You know, a word like quantum leap. You know, that may mean something to a physicist, but to most of us, it's just kind of a buzzword. It sounds like marketing, and so it's like, yeah, whatever, whatever. Um, it, it's the words that kind of make your eyes roll, and you kind of roll roll your your eyes, and you just go, ah, you know, I don't even know what that means. You know, um, if 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 you see an advertisement, you know, it's a shower head and it's got machine learning in it. And you go, really? What, what's machine learning got to do with shower heads? You know, and it's just this kind of buzzword. It takes on a meaning and then, and then eventually the meaning gets drained out of it and it has no meaning at all. So, so, uh, my favorite, if you have, uh, all right, I'm going to give up. So go back to turbo encabulator and then we're just going to be sad. So, um, so turbo encabulator. If you ever get a chance, I, I encourage everybody. Has anyone already seen the turbo encabulator video? Okay, so that's the way it's spelled. All right, we got one hand, so Margot's seen it. So turbo encabulator. I certainly encourage everybody go on YouTube and watch the turbo encabulator video because it shows this is not a new problem. It was developed way back in I think the 50s. So, so. Um, the turbo encabulator video will will really be the final word on buzzwords but so so i've just i just kind of let you watch that at your leisure but i want to talk about christian buzzwords because it turns out christians have buzzwords of our own and they make sense to us right here in our little our little happy huddle here um, uh, buzzwords our buzzwords make sense but to a lot of people outside the church Maybe people you know, maybe people you have relationships with, maybe people who live in the same house as you. Um, Christian buzzwords, sometimes they just make your eyes roll back and they just go, you know, whatever, you know. So, so we're going to talk about Christian buzzwords. So I can't help you with turbo encabulators, but, um, and I can't help you with iPads and things. I remember Apple products used to just work. Remember that slogan? <laughs> so, so apparently it's become a buzzword now. So, um, so uh, I can't help you with turbo encabulators, but I can help you with with some of our Christian buzzwords. And so today we're going to talk about. Where's my? I've got one with the answers. So, let me find the one with the answers. So we're going to talk about. It's also big print. So we're going to talk about. Um, we're going to talk about buzzwords today. So, um, so. Uh, the reason we're going to do this is because um, because of something I heard Sam Harris say. He he's a, a celebrity atheist. He's um, uh, one of the four horsemen of the the new atheists. Uh, he's got a certain following, and um, he said that that we only have really two choices. Um, we have a choice between conversation and war. That's it. Conversation and violence. And faith is a conversation stopper. And and I thought that that's a shame because faith should not be a, um, a conversation stopper and people of faith should not stop conversations. And, um, so I want to, I want to talk about that. Our, our, um, 
uh, our example that we should look to is the way Jesus engaged in conversations and people stopped them. Famously, in, during his trial, Jesus was silent and then one, uh, the high priest said, said, I adjure you. I, I insist that you, uh, that you answer my questions. And so Jesus did answer his question. And as soon as he got done answering, one of the guards who was there slapped him across the face. This is one of the temple guards nearby slapped Jesus across the face and said, is that the way to answer the high priest? He demanded. Jesus replied, if I'm say, if I said anything wrong, you must prove it. But I'm not, if I'm speaking the truth, why are you beating me? See, that is not supposed to be the example that Christians follow, that that's not a how-to manual for Christians. That's actually what we don't want to be like. We don't, we don't want to be like that. And we don't want to be like um, another incident that John records earlier in Jesus' ministry where Jesus had performed a miracle and the people who had witnessed it were afraid to say anything about it. So um, this is the next slide. It says his parents, the, the people who had been witnesses of the man's uh, who had... Who had whose uh, vision had been restored, uh, his parents said uh, said that they were afraid to talk because the Jewish leaders had announced that anyone who uh, said Jesus was the Messiah would be put out of the synagogue. They would be excommunicated. And so uh, we know that Christians may not always have been violent, uh, but we certainly have, have sometimes throughout our history been unwilling to listen to people who had different ideas. And neither of those is meant to be an example for Christians to live up to. Rather, uh, Christians are, are supposed to be willing to engage in conversation. We see that um, in the letters of Paul. Paul says, we are Christ's ambassadors. God is making his appeal through us. We speak for Christ when we plead, come back to God. See, Paul had the advantage. He was living in a time before the church had acquired the power of the state. The church couldn't force anybody to do anything. And so Paul said, we are ambassadors. God is making his appeal through us. And he's saying that as as Christians uh, live into that example, that we should be the same way. We should not be slapping people across the face and we should not be excommunicating them. We should be willing to engage in dialogue with them. The Apostle Peter says, if someone asks about your hope as a believer, always be ready to explain it. But do this in a gentle and respectful way. Again, you know, you're not going to slap them in irons. You're not going to uh, subject them to the Inquisition. You're going to have a meaningful and an honest conversation. And so that leads us to our first point. Jesus' disciples engage in dialogue with non-believers. This is something that the church has not always done. But it's what we should, always should have done. And so uh, uh, we should lead the way in conversations with people like Sam Harris. We should not treat them as pariahs. We should not close our ears and slap their mouth. We should instead engage in conversation with them. Jesus' disciples engage in dialogue with non-believers. And that's why it's important we don't have a diet of strictly buzzwords when we're communicating. So so that's why we're going to talk about some words uh during this series, and today we're going to talk about faith. I decided we would talk about faith because of the Unbelievable podcast. I'm just curious, is anybody at all here familiar with uh, the Unbelievable podcast? So, uh, all right, so maybe it's kind of a church nerd kind of thing, but I encourage you to listen to it. Um, it's out of the uh, uh, United Kingdom, I don't know where, England somewhere. So um, it's it's something over there called Premier Christian Radio, and I don't have that radio, so um, I get it as a podcast. But what they do is they have 
they have interviews. You know, it's a typical talk show. Somebody's written a book. Somebody's got a thing that they want to promote. And they go on the show. But instead of talking about it for like three minutes on the, on the Today Show, instead they talk for like 45 minutes or an hour uh, on the, the Unbelievable Show. And uh, the other thing that makes it interesting is they don't have the anchor person who's supposed to be able to interact with the person. Instead, they get somebody who's actually an expert in that field, and they have a conversation between them. And the anchor person acts kind of as a referee. And a couple of years ago, they had on um, a guy named Peter Bogosian. Peter Bogosian had written a book called A Manual for Creating Atheists. So that's the book. You can still find it on, on Amazon. Peter Bogosian, he is a skeptic. He's a professor in um, Oregon somewhere. But he's a skeptic, he's an atheist, and he decided that uh, the reason he needed to write this book was the same reason Christians write books that teach people how to be uh, um, evangelists. The, the, the broad word for, for the kind of books Christian writes is called apologetic. It means a defense of the faith. It means have those answers that, that the Apostle Peter said, be ready to explain your faith to people. And he said, hey, us atheists need that too. Then we can have better dialogue. We don't get as quickly to the place where we, we get frustrated because we don't know what to say next. And so, you know, instead of saying, I don't know, I'll go look into it and get back to you. Instead, we go, you're a bad person. And he said, I, I want my people to be able to respond in a better way because I'd like to have meaningful, deep and sincere conversations. So, so that was the reason he wrote the book, A Manual for Creating Atheists. And so the person who was discussing it with him was a man named Tim McGrew, who is an expert in Christian apologetics. And so they had this conversation. It was very civil. It was respectful. It was, uh, it was, um, uh, interesting in a way, but it didn't go anywhere. It got hung up like in the first two or three minutes. And the reason is because they couldn't agree on the word faith. They, they, they just could not get past the opening of the of the discussion, which was, what does faith mean? And the reason is because faith is so important. Faith is a is an important word to Christi- Christianity. In fact, I think it's fair to say Christianity is all about faith. So our second point, Christianity is all about faith. It is an important word. So it's fair for that to be the place where we're going to get hung up if we're going to get hung up. But I felt bad that they couldn't have gotten any further. So, so why is faith important to us? Well, you know, I couldn't give you all the verses in the Bible that, that show us how important faith is, but here's a representative group. Jesus said to a woman, your faith has saved you, go in peace. John tells us in, um, in the most famous verse probably in all of the New Testament, he says, this is how God loved the world. He gave his one and only son so that everyone who believes in him will not perish, but will have eternal life. And the Apostle Paul says, Yet we know that a person is made right with God by faith in Jesus Christ, not by obeying the law. So faith is is crucial to what it means to be a Christian. Faith is what saves us. Faith is what leads us to eternal life. Faith is what sets us right with God. So faith is central to what it means to be a Christian. So it's appropriate. If you're going to get hung up anywhere, go ahead and get hung up on faith. And in fact, you know, we've all heard about Amazing Grace, you know, the song, right? There's something amazing about faith. Uh, the two times in the New Testament that Jesus is described as being amazed by anything, both have to do with faith. In one case, um, Jesus encounters a Roman officer, and the Roman officer says, uh, please heal my servant, but don't, don't bother coming to my house. That would defile you. I understand how those, those holiness laws of yours work. Don't bother coming to my house. Just heal him at a distance because I understand how authority works. I deal in authority. I can see you've got authority. Just heal him from where you are. And Jesus is 
amazed by this. And he says, it says, um, he was amazed. Turning to those who were following him, he said, I tell you the truth, I haven't seen faith like this in all Israel. So Jesus is amazed at the faith of the Roman officer. But Jesus is also amazed by disbelief. It says, um, in, in another story, we read how um, uh, Jesus is in his hometown of Nazareth, and because of their unbelief, they, they basically said, we, we, we know you. Remember when you fell off your bike and skinned your knee? You know, you're just that little whippersnapper. We don't have to believe in you. And, uh, because of their unbelief, he couldn't do any miracles among them except to place his hands on a few sick people and heal them. And he was amazed at their unbelief. So, faith is crucial to what it means to be a Christian. Faith is the very center of what it means to be a Christian. And Jesus can be amazed by our faith and he can be amazed by people's uh, lack of faith. Uh, because faith is so important. So, they got hung up. In this podcast, uh, uh, Peter Bogosian and, and um, Tim McGrew got hung up. They couldn't get past the opening because they disagreed on what faith meant. So, um, Bogosian said that faith meant unevidenced belief. So, he said, he said, it is belief that goes beyond that which is warranted by the evidence. He, that was his definition. And he said, he said, every Christian he knows uses the word that way. And he had kind of, uh, not quite as serious, he said, his, his, his backup meaning for faith is pretending to know things you don't know. So those were the two definitions that Peter Bogosian, um, uh, has for faith. And they couldn't get beyond that because Tim McGrew said, well, that's not what Christians mean by faith. Christians don't mean that. So um, the second one is actually kind of a play on something that Mark Twain said. Mark Twain said, having faith is believing in something that you just know ain't true. Now, it's Huck, Huck, Huck Finn said that. So, so um, and, and Boghossian's second definition is kind of in that, in that vein. Um, but, but McGrew said that's not what, what Christians mean by faith. And he says, oh, yes, you know, you're a professor, Tim McGrew, you, you've got a little academic bubble, and maybe in your world there's 50 people who use faith the way you say, but trust me, billions of people around the world use faith the way I say. And so they couldn't get past that. Uh, McGrew said that faith means to have complete trust or confidence in someone or something. He said the Oxford English Dictionary uh, surveys usage, and they actually will tell you that's what the word means. Uh, Google does the same thing. You can see Google doesn't just do that. They chart it, and then they give you the chart. So you can see how people use the word faith. So, um, you know, who are you going to believe? You're going to believe Peter Bogosian, or are you going to believe the Oxford English Dictionary? Well, it doesn't matter if you're having a conversation with Peter Bogosian. They ultimately couldn't get any further than that. So, what I want to do is I want to talk about how we can how we can get around the word faith, because Peter Bogosian is is determined that the word faith means unevidenced belief. It means believing what you know ain't true and pretending to believe that what you know ain't true. So, how do you communicate? How can you have a conversation with somebody? Who gets hung up on the word faith? That's what I want to talk about. So I want to first of all talk about faith in general, just any kind of faith, the faith that I talk to the children about, you know, faith that the parents will have lunch. So faith means trust. And I would encourage you, honestly, be like the people in that graph. Quit using the word faith. You know, uh, in the 1840s, lots of people used faith, and today less people use faith. Join that trend. Just don't even use the word faith. There's very little reason to use faith. Instead, use the word belief or use the word trust, depending on what the circumstances are. If you just mean kind of head knowledge, if you just mean an opinion, you know, it's my opinion that, you know, I like this person or, you know, you know the carpet in here is red, um, that, that's a belief. 
so say I believe that. Um, and and if you if it's something that's really important, you're saying I'm counting on, you know, I bought new carpet. I mean, I bought new new drapes, and they've got to match the carpet in here. So I I trust that the carpet is red. Then say I trust. Just just get rid of the word faith. There's not much value that it provides, particularly if it causes people to get hung up in conversation with you. So so um, so I recommend just avoiding the word trust. And we see this all through the scriptures in the um, in the letter to the Hebrews. The writer kind of gives us the go-to definition for faith, and that's unfortunate. People turn to this, and and um, it certainly agrees with this. He says, faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. So uh, what's going on in that in that passage is he's saying, hang in there. He's saying, you're, you're suffering, that bad things are happening because of your circumstances, and you're wondering, should you just pack it all in? Should you just give up on the whole Christianity thing? And he says, hang in there. Faith is the the assurance of things hoped for. And then he goes on and he in chapter eleven he gives a whole list of all the people, the heroes of the faith, who hung on when it didn't seem like a a, a wise thing to do. So um so he gives he gives um uh an example of faith uh as being trust. We see this in um in uh John's uh first letter he says he says what is what is um what is it that we believe we proclaim to you what we've actually seen and heard he's saying this is not some mere opinion you know it's not like uh somebody told me and I'm passing it along this is a game of telephone he says no I was there I saw it I am as convinced of this as I am convinced of anything I trust as much as I trust my senses I trust um what I'm telling you so again he's not simply saying believe um, or he's not simply saying faith, he's saying what he believes. And um, uh, the, the Apostle James, he, he says, belief is kind of overrated. He says, pe- people believe all kinds of stuff. He says, he says uh, you, you say you believe in one God. Um, good for you. You know, golf clap. So, so you know, uh, so what? He says, even the demons believe there is one God. The question is, do you trust the one God? And of course the demons don't. He says, he says, what matters is not what you believe. What matters is what you put your trust in. What it is you lean your life against. So, so faith means, um, trust more than belief. And I know I skipped over them, but I want to go back. Can you go back to the C.S. Lewis quote? Um, so, uh, I mentioned, I mentioned, um, uh, Google. Google says that, that, um, that faith means, means, um, uh, Bogosian says faith means believing without evidence, and that's exactly what Christian apologists don't do. The most famous uh, apologetic work in English of the 20th century is written by C.S. Lewis. It's a book called Mere Christianity. If you haven't read it, I certainly encourage you to read it. Um, but in it, he says explicitly he's not asking anyone to accept Christianity if his best reasoning tells him the weight of the evidence is against it. So, so don't believe against the evidence. Don't believe in the spite of the evidence. If it's 52% against Christianity, then go with against Christianity. He's saying, he's saying, I do not want you to believe without evidence. I want you to believe with the evidence. Go wherever the evidence leads. Um, and then uh, I, I tried to find, are there any Christians who've ever said that you should believe in the face of evidence? And the best I could come up with was the one you saw in the program from G.K. Chesterton. He said this, he said, to love means loving the unlovable, to forgive means pardoning the unpardonable. Faith means believing the unbelievable. Hope means hoping when everything seems hopeless. So that sounds like he's saying, you know, believe when there's no evidence for it. But that's not what he means, obviously, in the same way. Loving the unlovable doesn't mean... Um, 
what it might sound like. In fact, that tells us you love people without limit, not because they are lovable, but because because um, your intention is to love them, not because of their intrinsic lovability, but because you have said, there is no limit how far I will love. There is no limit to what I will forgive. And there is no limit to what I will believe. I will only go in the direction of my intention, and I will only be aimed because of my evidence. But if the evidence points in that direction, I don't have an arbitrary limit and say, well, I'll only believe this much. There's not, there's not some place where I'll say, no, that's it, I check out here. So, so um, I couldn't find any Christians who... Um, who say believe against the evidence? So, so as a general rule, uh, don't use the word faith. Instead, talk about trust. Talk about what it is you trust, rather than uh, things that are mere opinions or beliefs. So, now that's just in general conversation. Why bother talking about faith? Now, what I'd like to do is talk specifically, wrap it up here with um, Christian faith. So, Christian faith is trust in the truth of God, God's promises, in particular and their fulfillment in Christ. So let me give that to you in words you can write down. So Christian faith is trust in God's promises and in Christ their fulfillment. So this is what this is this is the smallest thing. We want to have the smallest thing. If this is the hill we're going to die on, we want to defend the least ground possible. So we don't want to defend all kinds of things. How do we feel about evolution? How do we feel about teaching science in schools? How do we feel about about uh, same-sex attraction? Those are things that grow out of our faith. They're not things that that are the basis of our faith. So this is the basis of our faith. What is what is the very uh, foundation? What is the what is the ground that Christians stand on? And it's the truth of God and His promises that are fulfilled in Christ. So. We see this, um, we see this in the Hebrew scriptures, um, uh, all through the, the ideas that we trust God. So trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not depend on your own understanding. Seek His will in all you do, and He will show you which path to take. So we trust God. That makes sense. This is a church, so that's what you'd expect to say. But, but it means trust God narrowly. It doesn't mean trust institutions. So, for example, um, our denomination, one of our denominations, the Presbyterian Church, and uh, denominations are not something you should trust. And don't, tr- don't, don't believe me when I say that. Believe the Presbyterian Church, because our slogan as a Presbyterian is, is we are the Reformed Church always in need of being reformed according to the Word of God. That, that human intuition, that when we lean on our own understanding, we're going to get things wrong. We're going we're gonna to start with the basis of our faith. And then we're going to build things on top of that, and we're going to get that wrong. And so we don't put faith in those things we've built on. We do the best we can, but we don't trust them. We don't lean our lives against them. The thing we lean our life against is God's promises that are fulfilled in Christ. So that's the root of our faith. That is the basis. So um, when we take something else, and you know, when we take anything else, when we take a denomination, when we take... Um, uh, other human institutions, when we take politics, when we take social programs, when we take anything else, and we take these good things, and then we make them an ultimate thing, the Bible word for that is idols. Because they can't bear the load. That, that, that they were never meant to be God, and so when you make them something that is an ultimate, then it's going to collapse, and if you've leaned against it, you're going to fall down. So don't lean your life against an idol. Uh, we see this in the Ten Commandments. Do not make for yourself an idol of any kind of an, or an image of anything in the heavens or on the 
earth or in the sea. You must not bow down to them or worship them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God who will not tolerate your affection for other gods. He says, these things are not designed to be me because there's only one me. So don't make anything else an idol. So we do have faith, but our faith is very narrow. It's narrowly defined as faith in God's promises. So so what is it we do have faith in? We have faith in God. Well, I don't know about you. I can't see God. So how do we see God? Well, we see God by looking at Jesus. Christ is the visible image of the invisible God. He existed before anything was created and is supreme over all creation. That's how we get a, a, a handle on God is we look at Jesus and we say, okay, that helps me understand everything else that people have told me about about God. And more than that, in, in Jesus is not just like a, a magnifying glass that helps us see something that's difficult. Jesus is himself the answer to the promises of God. So all of God's promises have been fulfilled in Christ with a resounding yes. So we believe in this very narrow thing. So you're saying, I'm in a, I'm in a conversation with a Peter Bogosian. I live in the same house as an atheist. I have that guy at work who doesn't believe anything, as far as I can tell, about anything, certainly not about Christianity. How do I have a reasonable conversation with him? You do that by saying, here is, here is my minimum. And we can have a conversation about everything else. But, but this is the place where where I'm going to to hang my hat. This is this is the hill I'm going to die on. Is my faith in God in the truth of God, uh, God's promises in in Jesus Christ. And the best part about that is it gives us an answer. Skeptics will sometimes say to us, "But you've just said something that can't be proven wrong." They say there's there's no point in having a conversation with somebody if they've already said there's a place where they're not going to they're not going to give ground. So I will tell you Christianity can actually be falsified. And again, you don't have to trust me. This comes straight out of the the New Testament. The apostle Paul was talking about this and he said he said if Christ has not been raised, then your faith is useless. This is this is the test. This is the falsifiability test for Christianity. And if you're in a conversation with a non-believer, you can say, do you have one? Is there something that would invalidate your faith or your, your belief or your lack of belief? Is there something that, that would convince you? In the same way, I'm telling you, what, what, is, what is the test? What is the acid test for my faith? Because I have one. I have the one that the Apostle Paul gave me. He said, if Jesus has not been raised then my faith is useless, and I will abandon it. Now, in that same passage, in 1 Corinthians 15, Paul says, Jesus has been raised. He says, I know that because I had a conversation with him on the road to Damascus years after he, or at least a few months after he had been raised. I met him in person. I know Jesus was raised. And in that same letter, he says, not just me, the apostle Peter, the, the, the other, the other apostles, they encountered him. The, at one point, more than 500 people encountered Jesus alive because Jesus has been raised. And so, yes, do I have faith in him? Yes, because I've talked to him. Yes, because 500 people talked to him. I have faith that Jesus was raised. Or I have faith in all the promises of God because I know that Jesus was raised. That is the irreducible minimum for us. That is the place where if we're in a conversation with a skeptic, we can say, we can say, yes, that is the thing you need to work on if you're going to convince me. But you can do it. Prove to me somehow that Jesus was not raised and I'm in. But do you have an answer? 
Because my faith tells me, and the history and the tradition that has been handed on to me tells me that Jesus was raised. And I have faith that I spoke with him earlier this morning. Because Christ was raised. We can have faith in all the promises of God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we give you thanks uh, that Jesus was raised, that our faith is not useless. Uh, but Lord, we know how poorly the church has defended this truth. We have acted afraid and skittish as if there was something to worry about. And so rather than engaging in conversations with disbelievers and, and non-believers, we have, we have um, excommunicated them, we have, we've cast them out, we've stopped our ears, and sometimes, Lord, we've, we've used violence against them, Lord. So help us to, to not be like that. Help us to be the most curious and engaging conversation partners that there may be. Help us to understand that we don't have to defend all the, 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 the good and useful structures we have built upon our faith. That all we have to defend is that you are a God who speaks truth and that who has answered all of his promises already in Christ our Lord. We pray this in his name. Amen.